If you went on a road trip and you didn't stop for a Big Mac or drop a crispy fry between the car seats or use your McDonald's bag as a placemat, then that wasn't a road trip. It was just a really long drive. At participating McDonald's. Tonight, a conversation with noted education and business leader, Dr. Lance Thompson. God doesn't make mistakes. You know, he's made people black, white, yeah. uh, uh, Asian, Middle Eastern, all of them, all of us come from the same creator. Absolutely. So you have to see us all as brothers and sisters. Absolutely. And once you do that, you, you want for your, most of the times you want for your brother and your sister, sometimes what you, at least what you want for yourself, yourself, if not more. Clark Atlanta University's Dr. Lance Thompson coming up right now. Uh, Dr. Lance Thompson, thank you for coming and appearing on Love and Respect. It is, um, it's amazing that you're here. I have not read the whole book yet, but you have a book called Black Wounds, The Pain, Scars, and Triumphs of Black America. We're going to talk some about this book. And you're um, not wanting to write it for a while, but having to get to a place where it was necessary and you did it. So thank you for that. Well, first of all, thank you for having me on your show. I really appreciate it. I'm a big fan of yours, so Absolutely. appreciate everything you're doing for the community. So what I do I call you Doc? Do I call you Dr. <laughs> Thompson? Do I call you Lons? What are, what are Well, my mother keeps me grounded in what she would say, you're always going to be Lons to me. So, okay, cool. So cool, people cool. that know me and are close to me, that's, what I, that's who I am. Well, I appreciate it. And, <laughs> and, and, and with respect to the amount of work you had to put in to become Dr. Lons Thompson, <laughs> I always have to ask. Speaking of the amount of work, um, I went to Frederick Douglass High School. Frederick Douglass is one of the, in, in my opinion, one of the top three Americans um, ever to have graced the world stage and represented this country. One of the others is Dr. King. Mm -hmm. So just pick a random white guy, throw in his third one, a white woman. So. <laughs> but but all, te all, all teasing aside, he said several quotes that have, that have radically you know, changed my life. Every day we would go into school, we would see without work ethic, there would be no progress. So we, we knew we had to, without struggle, I'm sorry, without struggle, there's no progress. So we knew we were going to have to work hard. Right. Uh, another we knew as kids were, it is easier to build strong children than it is to repair broken men. <laughs> and a third favorite quote of mine, and it starts our interview, is knowledge makes you unfit to be a slave. Mm -hmm. So education meant a lot to me my entire life. And... Um, you were born and raised in Boston. You're the second of nine kids. What did focusing on education early in your years um, do for you to escape poverty? Yeah, so education was, was drilled in me at a very early age as being very important. And, and it, was, it was drilled into me by my mother, who only had an eighth, eighth grade education. But she really stressed formal education as an opportunity to get out of, you know, we, we grew up in the housing projects, as, as, and everyone, as I found out later in life, everyone thought their housing project was the worst housing projects in America, and they turned out all of them were pretty bad. But, but we wanted to, that was a way of mobility. You know, um, you were going to get out of these four walls of the housing project through education and through opportunity. What was her name? My mother's name was Michelle Thompson. Michelle Thompson. Michelle Miss Thompson. Michelle is probably what the community. Oh, she was everyone's mom. Absolutely. So that, that was, that's an amazing that that we can be in these communities where education, in terms of the people who precede us, may not be the highest, but they can inspire someone who it seems that high school was pretty easy to you because you were valedictorian, correct? Mm -hmm. You were valedictorian, and then you go into college, and you don't do as well your first year, right? Right. What did that feel like from a 
from a, I know I'm a good student, I know I can do it. What did that do to your ego in terms of did it bruise it? Did it, did it make you want more? Well, you know, it, it, it did. It, it, um, it, you went, it went through different phases. At first, it was a sense of um, a doubt that, you know, do I really belong here? Mm -hmm. But even before that was a sense of disappointment, you know, disappointing my mother. As I, as, you know, as I said, this was always very important to her. But, but a transition from being very important for her to now being very important to me. Then it became a sense of, um, you know, I think that, that, that project toughness kicked in, that, that, that what she had been building into me all my, all my life, that, you know, roll up your sleeves and, and time to get to work. So the defeat came at what school? At Colby College. At Colby College. Yeah. It was so, a good school. Oh, Colby College, yeah, very good school. And um, in fact, very, very well known for economics, which yeah. is how I got uh, into economics. Yeah. Um, but, it, you know, at the time, Colby College, um, they were trying to, do, just back when I was in, in college, uh, a lot of schools were now trying to diversify their mm -hmm. student body. But I think they got the diversity part right. So they brought myself in and some other uh, uh, blacks and, and other, some, some, some students from, South, from Africa, I should say. Uh, so we, we, we diversified the student body a little bit, you know, about, about 1,800 students, about 10 to 12 blacks in there. But what I don't think, in hindsight, what, we, what they got right or understood was to put someone in a situation, that's, that's only the beginning. Yes. I don't think they really understood how to make us feel welcome it's and how to make us feel supported that we belonged. I was in a place where people were welcoming me in out of a sense of maybe social obligation, yeah. but they didn't really embrace the true spirit of seeing me as one of their own or, or equal to them. Yes. And so just not really sure what to do with that or how to grow from that. Yeah. Um, and, and you start doubting yourself. Am I, am I, am I in the right place? You know, is this where I belong? Should I have gone someplace else? Um, you know, am I really welcome here? And, 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 of course, you're going to be your own worst enemy because you're going to be more paranoid yeah. and your mental yeah. games that you play with yourself yeah. are going to be worse than what people, people walking by me probably weren't even thinking about me. Yeah. But in your mind, you're thinking what people might be thinking. Yeah. Um, so I think I spent too much of that going on my first, you know, first year, and year and a half. So what happens after, after you don't do well the first year? Do you stay at Colby? Do you go to another school? Well, what are your thoughts? I end up going to uh, Gramlin State. And, uh, you know, famous I, coach down there at the time. Yeah, Eddie Robinson. Yes, and uh, so I was heavily recruited by a number of different schools in football, but but including Gramlin State. So I could easily make a phone call and they, they were happy to have me come down. So you're brilliant and you're one of the best football players possibly <laughs> in the United States because because you get a call from coach, <laughs> coach well, Eddie at Gramlin well, State. Well, he had a lot of other good talent down there at the time, too. But I was just happy to be in that conversation to be yes. considered. Um, but, but it gave me options where I said, okay, I don't have to stay at Kobe. I can go other places where, yes. they, where they'll be welcoming to me. And so here I go from probably one of, the, one of the whitest schools in America to probably the blackest school in America, right? But it, it, it turned out that it wasn't the fairy tale ending mm -hmm. because even though I had the things that I felt were missing from Kobe, mm -hmm. support, people who looked like me, people who had shared backgrounds and experiences, um, I felt like I had walked away from something that I had started, gotcha. and that just didn't sit well with me. So, so even though Gramlin was very welcoming and, 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 and warm to me and, 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 and had a place for me there, um, I, I, I was not settled inside myself that, that, that this was a place where I could stay at because I had unfinished business back at Kobe. Yeah, that's, um, that's an amazing mindset to have at when you start my start 19, 20 years old. That's an amazing 
mind say, word to Miss Michelle. She raised <laughs> oh, you right. That's, that's, all my, that's all my mother's mindset. <laughs> yeah. So you go back to Colby from Grammar. I go back to Colby. Um, so first I had to go, I, had to, I was on academic probation, uh -huh. so I had to go do classes elsewhere. So I went back to Boston. I did my classes at Boston University. Gotcha. And I started getting uh, grades that were consistent with what I got in high school. So gotcha. I started getting my confidence back. And so I was able to reapply for Kobe to get back in, show them the work that I had done, how I have grown over the years. Yeah. And I got back into Kobe. And once I got back to Kobe, um, I became a dean's, uh, dean's List student for the rest of the semesters. Dominated. I would imagine that you're already a confident black kid, I can tell. I would imagine that Grambling, you know, nudged you. You knew their other. But going back to college, completing um, Boston University and then, and then completing Colby, um, probably perfectly prepped you for what was next. And what was next was corporate America. Right. And in corporate America, it felt like you have like an almost a spook that sat by the door existence. <laughs> and that you were the only black manager, the or the only black vice president. What were the special challenges that you faced and what skills helped you succeed? I would imagine the Kobe experience helped you in, in corporate America. Yeah, it, it really did. That's interesting you, you make that analogy because it, it, I really drew upon my experience at Kobe. It really helped me understand um, that I'm gonna be in environments where people don't look like me, yeah. where people don't think like me, where people have different perspectives and opinions and different ways of doing things and, 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 and seeing things or tell me no, and the no is just a no. Not a no because I'm black, and not a no because my work was inferior, just a no because they prefer it this way. Mm -hmm. So all those things you know, came into play to help me have a, a, a thicker skin, a tougher skin in corporate America. And you know, as I've said, uh, you know, talk to other, other certainly students when we talk about diversity, equity, inclusion, which is the new buzzword, you know, the DE&I. I, you know, I reflect back and I think that they, the, the diversity part, I think corporations were really working very hard at. Yeah. And, and they wanted people like myself in the room to be on the team, right? But the equity and the inclusion part, I, I think we, we still haven't gotten that right. Absolutely. You know, so to make me feel as... Everybody loves McDonald's fries. So yes, you accused your mom of stealing some of your fries on the way home. Um, but the bag did feel a little light. Equal as other managers and other executives who has a voice who, who is as, as valued as theirs, who has, who has ideas that will be taken as seriously, um, who will be given uh, equal pay, comparable to what some of my peers were getting. Uh, we're still struggling with that 30 years later after you know, wow. my, my initiation into corporate America. Once you got in a corporate environment and you're there, um, you know, post-Colby, and you say you weren't given weren't taught, you know, people didn't walk you through. Um, what would you say to corporations now in terms, if I put you over a corporation and say, well, we want to start diversity. We saw Black Lives Matter protesting and we think we need you to oversee diversity. <laughs> right. What would you do besides put more than one black person at the table? Would you help them understand there are different types of black people? Would you, what would you do what, if yeah. you're in charge of diversity at company A, B, or C? Yeah, and that's a very good question. Um, First of all, as you just said jokingly, but I, I would include more than one person because yeah. it, it would take away the stigma of that person feeling like they're the only one. You, you notice when you're the only one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it just has this unbelievable sense of silent weight that holds, yeah. that's on you. So that's one thing, just full inclusion based on ability. Gotcha. Um, secondly, I think you know, there needs to be a, an orientation where 
you brought into corporate America, and you have, even though you've been successful in, 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 in college and, and, and maybe in some other internships that you've done up to that point, it's like going from the minor league to the majors. Just making people understand that you're here as part of a community. Yes. You're not here as an individual. Yeah. Um, and so it's okay to ask for help. It's okay to be part of a network that's going to help support you and give you good uh, cr critical feedback. And when you have that kind of nurturing environment, you can take feedback more to heart that is coming from a good place. Yeah. And you're not suspicious that it's coming from someone who's just trying to undermine me or trying to make me look bad. You have 35 years corporate experience and working for the top 100 companies, not the, not the Fortune 400, the Fortune 45, the Fortune 100. So you were elite at what you did. Usually you, you resign, you go play golf or tennis or whatever, you know, and you, and you, or, you, or you go work and pick up a check from a major university or state university. You chose to leave corporate America to go into academia and specifically historically black colleges and universities. What brought you to historically black colleges and universities? What brought you to Clark? What makes you say, this is where I plant my flagpole, this is where I most need it? So I didn't even go to an HBCU, but, but when the opportunity came along, um, when they were looking for their uh, CFO, the next CFO, and they were explaining to me all the different experiences that I had in corporate America that would, that would be value added to an HBCU where we can, someone who can appreciate the non, nonprofit mission of the university, but bring a profit mentality of the efficiency kind of, you know, uh, discipline to the university. So that was intriguing to me. But what was most important to me was the students. You know, I looked at these students and I said, these are students who come from backgrounds that I came from, yeah. who are at the beginning of their journey in life and certainly in their career um, that, that, that I've now kind of come to the end of mine. And so if I could go back to, to, to my younger self and had someone who had this kind of knowledge, experience, insights, um, um, uh, victories as well as defeats, yes. uh, who could share all those things with me, how valuable would that be for me? Yeah. If I can reach one student yeah. on this campus and really help them maybe find themselves, find their voice, find their confidence, uh, find, them, find themselves on the path of what their purpose is in life, that's gonna ripple effect everyone they interact with for the rest of their life. Absolutely. But this just seemed like it was transitioning from profiting for me personally to contributing and giving socially and to a community. Absolutely. And, and once I got comfortable with that transition, um, it was just, it was no, there was no comparison to the value that could be added here versus you know the things that I kind of left behind when I left corporate. And then speaking in economics, it's almost an it, well, it is an investment. It's an investment because you, what what you get on the other side of those four years over the next twenty years definitely further grows and accrues. It's like compound interest. Compound interest. See, you know, you you sure you're not a finance guy? Well, <laughs> I, I messed around and rapped until I had to understand money or the IRS was going to take it off. Right. <laughs> <laughs>
I was hoping it wasn't necessary to write the book, but a shift came about when I started seeing uh, one case after another of, of a black person uh, either, either killed in the street or, or abused in the street. And that's where I said, you know, I, 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 I can't turn my eyes away from that. Yeah. While I could shake my head and say, yeah, I wish you know, we all got equal pay, I wish we all had all equal access to, to, to opportunities for promotion, and, and I could shake my head and say, okay, well, we'll come back at it tomorrow. I could not shake my head and turn away from a young kid lying in the street who will never come home to their mother, yeah. a person who was killed um, for doing something as, as benign as going to get uh, a soda or Skittles from the store. But seeing one high-profile case after another of, of them being, um, uh, you know, meeting this kind of, this, this fate of not even getting their day in court, not even getting their, day, their the opportunity to defend themselves, to hear their story, and if they're guilty, then here's what the, what the justice says that you're, 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 you're going to, your consequences are, your actions are. But to not even make it to the car, not even make it to off the sidewalk, um, not even make it from the front of the store, you know, to the, to the police cruiser, uh, one situation after another. That's when I said, you know, it's, something is not right in this country. Yeah. And I I allowed myself to go, fall into a, a false sense of security when President Obama was elected. Things were changing above the surface, but look at all this going on under the surface, right? These things weren't changing. You know, the way police, the policing in black communities were. Um, the, 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 the discrimination uh, in, in, in school and housing and, yeah. and, and trying to get loans, um, uh, health care, you know, you, you, one metric after another. I went back and looked and I said, these things haven't moved in almost 50, 60 years. Yeah, for some people who are going to be listening on the other side of this, you know, who are law and order people too, they have to understand that blacks and whites smoke marijuana at the same rate, right. about 50-50 yet 84% of marijuana arrests are blacks. That, that whites aren't better at hiding the smell of marijuana. No. Their communities aren't being policed in the way stop and frisk isn't being used. Stop and frisk, which goes back to the slave uh, patrols. Absolutely. You know, you had a permission to go off your, off, yes. your, off your plantation. So a lot of these things have carried forward from... Yeah, and, and have just have become a thing. And they, they, they become institutional. when you talk about mortgages, World War II, um, veterans came back and beyond. Blacks are, and whites that apply for the same loans with the same schematics. Essentially, blacks are turned down 22%, whites only 8%. Turn, turn down 22% or those who are given a loan are at a higher rate, at so higher now you're rate. paying more. Exactly. And, and the reason why this is very important is because when we talk about wealth, yeah. the, the, the single largest or most valuable asset that you own, most people own, is your home. home. Yeah. And so if I can't even own a home, yeah. then I can't even get on a platform of building generational wealth Absolutely. and wealth that can then be passed on to my kids, yeah. right? And so you never get out of this cycle of not building wealth. That's just and surviving. You're surviving, right? And so every time you're in the mode of surviving, then you're not in the mode of thriving and, and reaching self-actualization, being the best that you can be. This is an amazing conversation. I'm going to have to wrap, but right before I do, I need you to give me three things very short, that will help to improve the relationship between whites and blacks in this country. Because they're not going back to Europe, and we're not going back to Africa besides vacations and visits. We're not repatriating. What are the three things that you would give, having worked in corporate America and coming from the projects of Boston, what are the three things that we could do to better help harmony between us? Well, I think, first of all, humanity. You have to see us as human beings. See us as um, human beings. I think, then secondly, I think you have to believe that, um, that we're uh, we're, we're, we're capable. 
we've, we've shown ourselves anything we've tried, we've, we've been successful Confident at. Competent and competent. Competent and competent. And, and I think just thirdly, just realizing that um, God doesn't make mistakes. You know, he's made people black, white, yeah. uh, uh, Asian, Middle Eastern, all of, them, all of us come from the same creator. Absolutely. So you have to see us all as brothers and sisters. Absolutely. And once you do that, you, you want for your, most of the times, you want for your brother and your sister sometimes what you, at least what you want for yourself, yourself. if not more. Good. Absolutely. So once you see us as being all the same, you want all of us to succeed as a society Absolutely. and not be in this constant state of tension. I want to thank you for coming. Well, thank like you. Hey there, ever thought about what makes your heart beat a little faster? Oh, you mean like when you discover a new track that just speaks to you? Yeah. Or finding a movie that you can't stop thinking about? Well, get ready to feel that excitement all over again because Amazon Prime is here to take your entertainment and shopping experience to the next level. Absolutely. Prime isn't just about getting your packages quicker. It's about diving into a world of endless possibilities, from the latest releases to exclusive content you won't find anywhere else. And don't even get me started on the music. Prime offers concert specials that will transport you right to the front room. It's like being at the hottest gigs without leaving your living room. I use Prime to tap in with some of my favorite artists' live shows from any and every genre of music. Trust me, Prime is a game changer. It's like having a personalized superstore and entertainment hub right at your fingertips. So why wait? Head over to Amazon.com forward slash Prime and start experiencing entertainment like never before. To encourage the people who are watching to pick up black wounds, the pain, scars, and triumphs of black America by Lance Thomas, I would like to encourage more black kids to go to black schools, go to HBCUs, and I want to thank you for coming on Love and Respect. I sincerely love and respect you and your message. Thank you. I really appreciate you. Yes, thank sir. you. stop for a Big Mac or drop a crispy fry between the car seats or use your McDonald's bag as a placemat, then that wasn't a road trip. It was just a really long drive. Bada -ba -ba -ba. At participating McDonald's.